the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We are underway now, seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this uh, Tuesday, the eighth morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Coming up on the program, two of my very favorite people to talk to. At 9.35, we catch up with Jack Windsor. It's been a little bit since we've talked to Jack, who has been doing just an amazing job reporting on Ohio issues in Columbus, as well as uh, Ohio political uh, races. And he had an interview with a person that you probably haven't heard a ton about, about a potential run for the governor's office. Jack's going to tell us all about what kind of a, what kind of a monkey wrench that would throw in the plans of other gubernatorial candidates. Right now, we all know that, uh, it's Governor Mike DeWine wanting re-election. We know that Jim Renacci has been working very hard at this, although he has not yet made an announcement officially that he's in the race, but he's going to be in the race. We know that Joe Blystone, a farmer, uh, and essentially a non-politician has made a lot of noise and got a lot of support. But there is another name that is potentially in this race on the Republican side trying to primary out Mike DeWine that uh, Jack Windsor will tell us all about coming up at uh, 9.35 this morning. So looking forward to that. Then coming up at 10.10, well, it's uh, Tuesday. You know what that means. It's Kirsenow Day, and we're very much looking forward to, talk, to uh, talking with Peter Kirsenow. I know you got a great fill of Kirsenow with two hours of Peter on Friday sitting in for me, but I kind of figured you wouldn't mind another 45 minutes or so with the brilliant Peter Kirsenow. So he will be with me at 1010 this morning. And before we get into the top news of the day, what do you say we do our job? And we take a pause for the Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one. If you don't, just put your hand on your heart and recite along with us. Leftists, take your knee. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty 
and justice for all. Amen to that. All right. We, we need to start uh, today talking about, I, I, I apologize in advance here for subjecting you to her voice. If there is a more annoying voice in national or local politics than that of the vice president, Kamala Harris, um, I don't know whose it is. If, if there's a more annoying voice or delivery, I just don't know whose it is. I mean, I used to not be able to stand listening to Hillary Clinton speak. Um, I could not stand the voice of Harry Reid, the way he mumbled everything together. Um, Some people say certainly Mitch McConnell is a real tough listen, and I kind of agree with that. Um, Nobody is harder to listen to than Kamala Harris. Her... Vocal intonations and and inflections are are and her nasal sound are just so annoying. But what's worse is her condescension while sounding incalculably stupid. That's the real hard part. I, I the more I listen to Kamala Harris, the more it just occurs to me she's dumb. I, I I'm sorry for the bluntness. The more I listen to Kamala Harris speak, the more it becomes painfully obvious to me that the biggest problem with this vice president and this former senator is she's just dumb. She's not a fast thinker at all. That's why she bursts into her little giggle fits every time somebody asks her a question that her very, very slow-moving brain cannot quite compute. She bursts into her little giggles. She's just not smart. I, 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 I don't care what her educational background is. That means nothing. Earning a degree is not the measure of someone's intelligence. Listening to this woman, I'm telling you, I just get the sense that her biggest problem isn't her likability factor, although that's it. it's got to be her Q score. It's got to be at a negative 100. Um, it's not just a likability factor. It is a and, and, and a likable sound. Like I said, her voice is, it's, she's just dumb. Anyway, Kamala Harris, as we talked about yesterday, made her first trip to a foreign country as vice president. Six months into uh, their term, their first term, their hopefully only term. And her trip was to Guatemala to address the border crisis at the United States border with Mexico. Does it make any sense? No, of course it doesn't make any sense. And we'll explain why after you listen to some of the ridiculous, idiotic ramblings of Kamala Harris. Explaining why and what she did uh, when she was in Guatemala. And I want to emphasize that the goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. I'm going to pause it right there just because you have to. It is not the job of the president or the vice president or the Congress of the United States of America to make things better at home for Guatemalans in order to stop them from violating American sovereign law. That's not our job. Our job is to protect our border from border crossers who are here illegally, who are trying to get in illegally, not to go into their country and buy them things to say, here you go, we'll give you money and make your life here a little better if you'll just stop breaking our laws. 
This is tantamount to telling criminals, don't break into that jewelry store. If you promise just not to commit that crime, we'll pay you cash. You won't have to break into the jewelry store. That's what this is. But let's listen to this bumbling buffoon a little more. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. What a pant load that was. Words and nothing more. Words. Don't come. Don't come. Meanwhile, her boss, Joe Biden, is giving speeches telling everybody, if you come here, we're not turning you away. Particularly if you have unaccompanied uh, minor children, which just tells the coyotes, ding, 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 the president of Mexico is talking about this. The coyotes are lining up to grab children, and say for $20,000 or $25,000, your home, whatever we have to to get from you, we'll take your kid over to the American border where Joe Biden says he will not be expelled. He'll be able to stay. Then they'll send for you. Deal? Deal. Now she's going to go down there and tell them, wink, wink, don't come? Are you kidding me? Now let's listen to this rambling uh, half-wit, and that might be a little generous. She's probably a quarter-wit. Let's listen to Vice President Kamala Harris talking about the importance of being on the ground. Again, not on the ground where the crimes are happening at our border, but on the ground in Guatemala. On the issue of uh, Republicans' political... um attacks or criticism um, or even concerns. Uh, The reason I am here in Guatemala as my first trip as Vice President of the United States um, is because this is one of our highest priorities and I came here to be here on the ground to speak with the leader of this nation around what we can do in a way that is significant, is tangible, and has real results. And I will continue to be focused on that kind of work as opposed to grand gestures. So it's important, she admits, to be on the ground. It's just that she doesn't have any clue which ground she should be on. Why is Guatemala her focus? Why is Guatemala her focus? Yesterday I spoke with David Ray of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And I and I alluded to the fact that there have been at least 120 countries verified to have had um, uh, uh, illegal aliens coming into this country, crossing our border. And David Ray corrected me, and I stood a little bit kind of ashamed because I was wrong. It was 150. There have been 150 countries represented by, by illegal border crossers in the United States this year alone. 150. Countries represented. What is Guatemala going to do next? Is she going to go to 149 more? I'm here in Guatemala, my first trip, because this is one of our highest priorities. What is one of your highest priorities? What? 
quarter wit, bribing poor people in foreign countries to not break American law by breaking into the United States? Again, are you going to do this now 149 more times? Are you going to go to all the South American countries where people are leaving, making their way to Mexico somehow, some way, and then crossing our border? Are you going to do this with all of the African countries, the European countries, the Nordic countries? And I'm assuming there's some Nordic countries. We're talking 100. There's only around 195 countries recognized in the, in the world anyway. 150 of them have been coming to the United States illegally. Is that your plan? Is that your, I'm going to travel to all of those countries offering bribes, but I won't travel to the scene of the crimes. What is the scene of the crimes? It's the United States southern border. She won't go down there and talk to the people whose job it is to protect that border. She won't go down there and talk to them and find out what's really going on. Brandon Judd, the president of the National Border Patrol Council, said this is now worse than we have ever seen it before. Worse than it was during the uh, Obama administration. Worse than it was during the Bush administration, Clinton before him, and so on and so forth. It has gone from bad to worse. And she's visiting Guatemala to offer bribes? Yeah, it's it's getting just as bad. It's getting worse than we've ever seen it before. Uh, we're we're continuing to deal with more people than we've ever dealt with in the history of the border patrol, and this administration is doing nothing to fix it. Uh, with uh, with uh, Vice President Harris going to Guatemala to Mexico, that's not going to do anything. We've got to fix the problem here in the United States. We're dealing with people from 151 different countries. We're not just dealing with people from Mexico and Guatemala. Those countries aren't going to be able to fix this problem. We've got to fix it ourselves, not rely on other countries. That's Brandon Judd, the president of the National Border Patrol Council. You heard him. Dave Ray was obviously right yesterday. 151 countries represented by the border crossers. And she's going into one country and thinking, this will solve the American border crisis, the American invasion. And by the way, Make no mistake, it is an invasion. Do not allow anybody threatening to call you a racist if you point out that we are being invaded by foreign countries. That's what they'll do. If you, point, if you use that language, they will call you a racist, especially if you're white. That's why we need to listen to people like, I don't know, Candace Owens, who isn't white, describe it as an invasion. Uh, we know that the Biden administration is having planes enter in Chattanooga. This made the news a couple of weeks ago, filled with illegal immigrants in the middle of the night. What's really going on here? This didn't just begin when Biden and Kamala got into office. This has been going on for a very That's long right. time, I believe, a very long time. And when Trump got into office and started talking about stopping the flow, they, they really got upset and they got very angry because there has been something that has been going on in terms of trafficking over the border to change demographics of this country for a long time. It is not a conspiracy theory. It is the truth. And I am so happy that you're talking about it, because at the end of the day, we know that Kamala Harris are not they're not concerned about fixing the crisis. They're concerned about accelerating a plan, a plan that went into motion a very long time ago. And Americans need to wake up into it because you are correct. It is an invasion. It is an invasion. She is spot on. And let no one dissuade you from calling this what it is. 
Kamala Harris going down there to try to bribe Guatemalans into not breaking American law. Like I said, that's akin to telling would-be criminals, burglars, robbers, thieves, muggers, stick-up guys, hey, 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 don't do it, don't do it. Don't commit that crime. Here's cash. We got you covered. That's literally what they're doing with the uh, with this comma uh, Guadala Kamala. I'm sorry, Guadacamala. I'm going to find a way to combine those words: Guatemala and Kamala. Guadacamala, I guess, is what it is. That's what she's doing. All right, uh, it's nine twenty-two. If you want to get in, let's get in. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Jack Windsor at nine thirty-five. Beat him to the airwaves next. Okay, it's 927. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, Jim, uh, or excuse me, Jack, rather, Windsor is going to be joining us at 935. We've got a lot of things to cover, P- potential new face in the Ohio gubernatorial race. We're going to talk about Dr. Fauci's emails and how, what impact they may or may not have had on uh, Mike DeWine, or rather, Fauci's directives and what impact they may have had on Mike DeWine's decision-making. And how that should be changed now that we have the emails and we know that Dr. Fauci was, uh, was lying to us for, for many, many months. But back to the issue of, uh, the illegal, Ill, illegal immigration crisis. And it is nothing short of a crisis. Kamala Harris going to Guatemala to tell Guatemalans not to come to the United States. Uh, even though the policy for Joe Biden says, come on in. Literally. Countless numbers of individuals who have crossed the border, who have met up with reporters, have said, why did you make this trek? Have answered, or when the reporters have asked, why did you make this trek? The uh, uh, individuals have answered, because of Joe Biden. They literally literally believe that Joe Biden is the inviting, welcoming uh, president for immigrants, legal and illegal. And that's why they are here. Uh, Aside from that, aside from the obvious that this is a danger and a threat to the uh, uh, to the economy and the pros- business prospects of the American people, and and we have to point this out. I talked about this with Dave Ray yesterday. That part is should not be glossed over. One of the arguments that the left and Biden supporters is making is, look, we have businesses that don't have workers. We have three jobs available for every one uh, unemployed American worker, and the unemployed Americans don't want to come back to work. So therefore, we have to bring in people to staff these positions. So it's good to continue to bring in uh, thousands every month uh, of uh, uh, immigrants coming to this country. And as Dave Ray pointed out, those unemployment benefits and the supplementals that go along with it, the increased amounts and the supplementals are going to end this fall. What are you then going to do with unemployed Americans? Are they going to get their jobs back and then we put these illegal aliens that we brought in or legal immigrants in this case that we brought in, put them on federal subsidies, them on uh, American welfare? Are we going to then take care of them as unemployed workers, unemployed uh, citizens? One way or the other, we are going to have far, far, far too many people for the jobs that are available once the unemployment uh, scam, and it really is a scam, uh, runs out. 
So there's so many elements to this, obviously. We're going to talk about more of that with Peter Kirsten now coming up at 1010 this morning. But uh, uh, but we do have to focus on the invasion. It is an invasion. It is in, no, in really, there's no other way to look at it. It's it's if you do look at it another way, you are intentionally blinding yourself to the truth. All right. Uh, we'll get a time out here for news. I want to talk to Jack Windsor. Windsor's going to come on to talk about the Ohio governor's governor's race, Ohio covid policies and much more right here on 1420. The answer. Okay, 935. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. We're trying to make our connection with Jack Windsor right now. I will let you know when that connection has been established. Uh, but Jack has a really, really, a couple of really good, as a matter of fact, uh, new uh, articles on the Ohio Star. He does great, great investigative work for the Ohio Star. One of the stories that we're going to be talking about if we get him on the phone is uh, the in-depth interview that he did with Warren Davidson. I, I was kind of teasing ahead there. I wanted him to just uh, tell you about it. But um, <clears throat> Warren Davidson, U.S. Congressman from District 8, is a name that not many people are talking about because we're talking about Mike DeWine. We're talking about Jim Renacci, who's been planning, I think, to challenge DeWine for a long, long time, particularly since Jim Renacci wanted to run for governor before and uh, uh, pulled out of that race in order to join the call after being requested by the White House. Uh, to answer the call, rather, to um, uh, get into the race against Sherrod Brown. So Jim Renacci, his name has been there, of course. Uh, Joe Blystone is getting a lot of kind of, you know, dark horse conservative support. He is the non-politician and of the, the farmer and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, a lot of people have not been talking about Warren Davidson. Perhaps they should. Jack did an interview with Warren Davidson talking about a number of issues. First of all, the history, his history and his background and so on and so forth. But... Uh, more specifically, in the second part of his Ohio Star interview, they talked about things that he would have done differently than Mike DeWine over the course of the last year as it pertains to battling COVID-19. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the things that uh, Davidson said, oh, uh, you know what, I won't have to tell you one of the things Davidson said because we do have Jack Windsor on the line right now. I wasn't sure we were going to be able to make that connection, but let's go to Jack Windsor from the Ohio Star. Uh, Jack, are you there? I'm here, Bob. Okay, it's good, good to be with you. <clears throat> Yeah, thank you, Jack. Okay, I was just uh, I was going to let you talk about uh, Warren Davidson. Uh, uh, so, or actually, kind of kind of mention him as maybe the the candidate that is uh, kind of going under the radar right now, the potential candidate for governor. Now, you can say, well, of course he's under the radar. He's not a declared candidate. Well, neither is Jim Renacci, but he is definitely over and on the radar. He's been very very yeah. loud and vocal in criticizing Mike De- criticizing Mike DeWine. So, tell me. Where is Warren Davidson in this process? And as I read your article in your interview with Warren Davidson, he sounds like he is very serious about uh, about getting into this race. Do you think that is going to happen in the near or in the long term, uh, or I should say in the distant future? So, yes, if I had to give you my opinion, and it's only that, uh, after talking with Congressman Davidson last week, I do feel like um, he's, he's got a predilection for jumping into the gubernatorial race for 2022. And that's uh, in part why I interviewed him. And, and after the interview, I, I feel a little bit, little bit more that way. Uh, but I did interview him because if you remember back uh, at CPAC, 
uh, he made some comments, and uh, I picked up the phone and talked to some of his uh, senior staff officials, and he concluded then that, hey, I'm looking more at the gubernatorial race than that uh, U.S. Senate race. And uh, so speculation has only mounted since then, and it does appear that there's a very strong chance uh, that he would enter the race. And I say that because of one of the stories that he told me. He tells a compelling story about how he was keeping his eyes peeled to see uh, who the conservative favorite would have been in that uh, 2020 or 2016 congressional race where they were deciding who was going to replace Congressman and then Speaker John Boehner when he announced his retirement. And Davidson tells the story of uh, some political folks coming by his office and asking him who he would support. And he said, you know, you're the political boss. Why don't you tell me? And they kind of laughed and said, well, wouldn't it be great if an army ranger businessman got into the race? And, you know, they kind of laughed it off. But when uh, Davidson went home and told his wife about it, she said, that's not funny. That's not crazy. You should do it. Uh, And so, you know, with 10 minutes left uh, before the filing deadline, Davidson got in the race, uh, a field of 16 candidates. Three of them were pretty prominent or at least uh, prolific um, public service folks. And he ended up winning that race by eight points. So I kind of, if I'm looking at that and reading tea leaves just from that comment, it kind of tells me he's kind of in that similar boat right now, right? He's, he's a little bit later in the game and there are a lot of people that are in or talking about being in and by golly, they, they have some renown. Um, but his telling me that story makes me think that he might get in and he might get in a little later. He did say, look, it would take the perfect hand for me to get in this race. But if I had the perfect hand, I wouldn't play those cards until September. Very interesting. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about his criticism of Mike DeWine in your interview, if I can, real quick, because this is the big thing here. You know, I think what what candidates who want to primary out Mike DeWine have to do, of course, is separate themselves from his policy making and decision making over the course of the last you know fifteen months, sixteen months, seventeen months, whatever the case might be. You quoted him as uh, well. Rather, I won't quote him. Uh, you asked him um, why, what he made of the bills that were passed by the Ohio General Assembly that Mike DeWine vetoed, uh, the fact that judges had ruled some of his executive orders as being overreaching and uh, and thus uh, you know unconstitutional, uh, and that he kept on going anyway. He ignored all of those different voices that said you've got to pull back on some of the um, some of the authoritative measures that you have taken here. Give me more on Mm -hmm. what Warren Davidson feels about that. So one of the things that he said out of the gate that that really made sense to me, um, that maybe helped me get into his head a little bit, you know, this guy's a a former Army Ranger, and early on it would have been March of last year, March 13th is when DeWine put the kibosh uh, on activities and started closing things down. Uh, That... Following Monday, apparently the um, House and Senate um, Republicans and Democrats from the state of Ohio were all on a call with the governor. And Davidson, you know, the tactical uh, army guy that he is, asked the question, look, if we were looking at this as a war and we were going into a war, where's the goal line? What is that thing, that metric, that thing where when we get there, we go, okay, we're going to withdraw. And that to me, when he said that, says, you know, early on, DeWine didn't have a goalpost. And when he was asked about that goalpost, he got extremely defensive and said, um, well, you know, we don't have a date. And then, you know, Davidson, according to him, returned serve and said, well, I'm not asking for a date. 
I'm asking you what conditions, under what conditions do we, you know, peel these things back? And I think that's when um, all of this started. And, you know, Bob, we've talked about that over the course mm-hmm. of the year. Mm-hmm. The other thing that he said that was interesting is, um, you know, he said, I don't know any leader who wouldn't look back on the course of this year and say, you know, I could have done these things better. Um, and without saying it, he said, you know, DeWine hasn't said that. I, I can't recall a press conference or one of those special evening uh, statewide addresses where DeWine got in front of the camera and said, look, Ohioans, you, you fought really hard. You know what? I could have done things better. Um, and he hasn't done that. And you're right. He, when I asked about judges, he said, look, this is an executive branch overreach. He said, yeah, there were dissenting voices and, uh, DeWine wasn't listening. And so, um, and when we got further into the conversation, he talked about what, what he calls toxic federal policies, um, that are not stoppable right now because conservatives don't have any leverage in the White House. Um, or in Congress. And so he said, at a state level, it's really important to establish that firewall. Otherwise, um, you're allowing those toxic policies to flow into the state. So that was really kind of the gist of his of his criticism. It'll be very interesting if he enters this race. You know, Jim Renacci has kind of been uh, campaigning as the, uh, without actually officially campaigning as a candidate, <clears throat> but um, He's been out there as the anti-DeWine. Uh, he has criticized DeWine not just for COVID responses, but for economic policy, job creation, uh, job loss, population decline in the state, all these things that have been happening under his watch, and even going back to John Kasich before him, you know, kind of lumping the two of them together as being rhinos who can't be trusted uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and he's been trying to kind of paint himself as the anti-DeWine, and I think he does a really good job of it, and I think he's it's real. Um Davidson is a, is a different cat. Um, he changes the dynamics of this race. So just looking at this from a political standpoint, Jack, and I know this isn't necessarily your, you know, you're not a prognosticator or one of those kinds of uh, predictors, but just from an analytical standpoint, if you've got a really good candidate in Jim Renacci, and you've got a really good candidate in Warren Davidson, and, and, and the outsider candidate in Joe Blystone, uh, yep. Is there a real fear here that all three of them will take the anti-DeWine votes and divide them up neatly and have DeWine uh, run right back in as the uh, as the Republican nominee for re-election uh, simply on the basis of the of the split among the other candidates? I read that a lot in email messages and social media posts when I have a chance to you know to get on and scroll a little bit, and that is one of the concerns. And frankly, each of those candidates, if Here's what I will say. If DeWine, and I've talked to a few of these folks, uh, if, if DeWine has support, it's among people who have generally this type of attitude, and I know I'm throwing a blanket over it, but it, it's this type of attitude. He did his best. He's really concerned about us. He, he fought and did everything he could to keep this virus down, and, and I really like that, and, and I want to reelect him. Those folks, I, I don't think they're going to go with Blystone, Renacci, or Davidson. I think I think they're they're DeWine. Now, depending on which poll you look at, it appears that that's anywhere from uh, 26 to 27 percent to 34 percent. Okay, right now, there is still a lot of time. So Blystone has some very strong following. Um, Renacci seems to have some strong following. Davidson's obviously the newcomer, but I think there is absolutely concern. That um, so you you have that remainder uh, you know whatever it is that Dewine's not going to get to split between Blystone, Renacci, and Davidson, 
And so that, that does start to feel like a Herculean task. My guess would be if Davidson enters the race, he would do it with the idea that he knows something that, that maybe we're not looking at, that, hey, um, I'm, I'm a different candidate for this reason and would probably campaign and, and run on that difference. I don't know what that is yet. All right. Jack Windsor is our guest from the Ohio Star. He also does reporting to, to, uh, technically for us for AM 1420, The Answer, WHK, when he is uh, uh, at these uh, press events or participating in these press events with Mike DeWine. On, I believe this would have been Saturday, this story ran in the Star from you. Fauci email shows NIH doctor claimed DeWine would create demand for global COVID response core. Um mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about this. Let's talk about Dr. Kilmarks at the National Institute of Health regarding this Global Response Corps and what it was uh, Mike DeWine's role of all governors. Why was Mike DeWine prominent here? So a couple of interesting things about this email. One, it it comes out in April of 2020, and it comes out after, uh, in that story, there was a a Facebook, or excuse me, I believe it was a Twitter post, from Bill Gates, and, and Gates names some of the same governors that are named in that uh, NIH doctor's email. And, and why it's important is because it indicates, uh, you know, DeWine is listed with a couple of other Republican governors who some people would argue acted more like Democrats in their response to this pandemic. But he's listed in that email as somebody who would be, quote, most interested and helpful to encourage implementation and create demand for a COVID-19 response core. Um, and here's why that's interesting. First, the administration declined to comment. When I asked why the doctor would have thought in April that DeWine would be party to this, Dan Tierney said, this office declines comment. That's interesting to me. Why not just say, well, here's why. Um, second, it shows that there was collaboration early on, at least uh, on the front of this response core, which when you get in and you read about it, it seems to be an attractive effort on the surface until you realize that it diverted our attention from our most vulnerable, our seniors, particularly those with comorbidities. And if you remember last year, when we were a few months into this, neither DeWine nor Acton knew how many of our most at-risk seniors succumbed to COVID. In fact, they estimated it to be around 20%, and the number ended up being nearer to 70%. So it's just another one of those things where it's like, okay, there was collaboration on how they were going to handle this when, you know, we had this one-size-fits-all wrecking ball approach when it, it appears we should have used a surgical instrument to really carve out protections for our most at-risk population. That's very well said, and, and, and that's exactly what so many of us are calling for, and members of the General Assembly and judges and everything else, going back to what you said before, and he would not listen to anyone. He loves, I believe he just it became all-consumed with his own power. Uh, he loved being the guy who makes all the decisions, or along with his lab coat uh, standing next to him making all the decisions. He didn't need to l- listen to the legislature, didn't need to listen to the other judges. In other words, he was he made himself, quite frankly, a little king in the state of Ohio, rather than being part of a you know three branch um, uh, you know sharing of power uh, entity. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do this all himself. So uh, let's get away from Dewine for a moment here and just talk about bigger picture. You wrote and. Uh, uh, a post, rather. You posted some commentary on Facebook a couple of uh, days ago that really grabbed my attention. That's why I reached out to you and said, hey, Jack, can we get you on? And I want to read just part of this here. Let me be very clear. 
When you say we didn't know then what we know now, you are either ignorant or telling a lie. We knew what it was, where it came from, who would be the most at risk, and what non-pharmacological measures worked and didn't. We knew what therapies given at the right time would mitigate the severity. We knew what lockdowns would do to mental and emotional health as well as the economy, and we knew the impact of emotion, or excuse me, of educational disruption to our kids, both in terms of learning and life expectancy. And I'll stop there, Jack. You're essentially saying that all of this, okay, maybe it was, uh, you know, the, the the virus was born in a lab and leaked out of Wuhan maybe Trump was right maybe all of the people who said this is uh, you know this is where it came from and that our responses to it were going to be devastating based on the things that you just said here um, what is what is the 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 point of looking back at it now in your opinion uh, what what do we need to let me rephrase that what do we need to learn from it as we look back on it right now? Uh, who needs to be held accountable for that? And then what are our lessons so that we never respond to something considered a health emergency in such a way again? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and let me let me say it was <laughs> it might have been ignorant of me to write that. But I think it's important to write. It. I think you spoke I, for a lot of people, Jack. I, th- I don't think it's ignorant okay. at all. You spoke for me. I've said those things, maybe not in that same uh, exact phrasing that you did, but I've said those things. We have all known. That's why you and me and, and so many other people, I know you talk to a ton of people in the media around the state. Uh, that's why we have all said this out loud, and that's why it was so frustrating that DeWine was not listening. We knew things, uh, and, and we knew what the results were going to be. Mm-hmm. We knew the damage that was going to be done, and he and they ignored us. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, so I guess one of the big beefs that I've heard is that there are uh, leaders now, and the leader is, is really kind of a, I don't even want to use that term right now. Um, the, the folks that we allow to represent us in our government, um, they have our permission. We, we give up some of our money, some of our decision-making authority to these folks to go to our state house or to go to our nation's capital and to do our bidding, right? That's why they're elected. And when somebody says, look, we didn't, we didn't know then what we know now, that's either ignorant or it's a lie. And I have to go back. I can look at the very long report that I wrote that I think actually was the catalyst to you and I talking for the first time, where we cited evidence that masks do not work. We knew that from, you know, 1970. We cited the fact that lockdowns in Canada uh, during the first SARS outbreak, had a very uh, adverse effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cited the fact that when people lose their jobs, which we knew would happen when we had these lockdowns and we decided essential versus non-essential, bureauc- bureaucrats decided that, by the way, uh, that there was going to be a tremendous impact on the economy, on suicides, on addiction. We, we talked about all of that in the spring of last year. So when somebody says, hey, we didn't know then what we know now, that, that's just simply not true. And so I say that because if someone wants to represent me or other Ohioans say that and say, if somebody wants to represent me, what they have to prove to me what they've been doing over the last year to make that ignorant comment, because there is, there hasn't been anything as prolific in my lifetime that has happened and we've all been immersed in it. So how, how do you come up with the idea that we didn't know back then what we know now when we did it's it's you either didn't pay attention or you don't have the cajones to stand up and say i knew it but i just didn't want to take the risk that's great but just don't don't patronize people 
by saying we didn't know then what we know now. Because well, we knew because what it comes down to, what it comes down to is is incompetence versus um, corruption, essentially. Because if you if you're saying you didn't know now, then you are really admitting your own incompetence. Because many, many, many people knew then, uh, or excuse me, if you if you're saying you didn't know then, what you know now. So that's incompetence. Or if you really did know and you made the decisions that you made anyway, now that's corruption, and now that's just incompetent. Well, not incompetence in the same way, but that's just a uh, horrific leadership and horrific decision making. And that's uh, I think what it comes down to. It's a choice of incompetence or intent, I guess, on behalf of uh, those who are refusing to acknowledge as much right now well jack uh, windsor really really great work uh at the ohio star great questions of course i know you don't always get to ask your questions when you continue to do so with um, uh with mike dewine but uh we'll keep uh, i know you're going to keep your finger on the pulse of the race and uh everything else as more and more information comes out from those emails and we'll check back with you again as uh, as appropriate thank you bob it's an honor Have thank you day. jack always appreciate it uh 955 right back after this Okay, it's 9.59, so we don't have time for calls or anything here, but um, just thanks to Jack Windsor. We got Jack on a little bit late there, so we ran a little bit late, so we don't have time for calls here. We're going to set up a conversation with Peter Kersenow that's coming up after the top of the hour. We'll try to leave some time for calls at the end of the Kersenow interview, <clears throat> which would be about midway through the uh, bottom of the hour, the second half hour, uh, around 10.45. So if you've been waiting to get in uh Kind of hang up. Just go ahead and hang up, and if you want to call back at that time, we can do that. But Peter Kirsten is going to be joining us. We're going to pivot away from Ohio politics, uh, which really great stuff from Jack Windsor there, and we're going to talk about race in America. We're going to talk about the border invasion in America. We are going to be talking about former President Barack Obama, current President Joe Biden, and what they are doing to continue the division and the destruction and the quote-unquote fundamental transformation of a nation that they do not think very highly of. That conversation with Kirsten, I was next.